um, there wasn't really an intention to dive full on into um, training and there wasn't really a goal, an end goal in mind when I first came up here beyond live healthy. But um, as you guys might understand, I think there's a competitor in me and I did feel like I left my career with, with some unfinished business and um, I come back to the sport now kind of it's it's like kind of cure on 2.0 in a way I, I I get to kind of draw a line and start with a clean slate and take every day as it comes and just enjoy running healthy again I mean when you've been as hurt hurt as long as I've been um, you don't take for granted any day that you can get out and run pain-free and that's been really fun I don't know what can happen coming out of this comeback but I don't feel like there's necessarily a ceiling on on it this time around either you know Hey everyone, welcome back to the BeerMile.com podcast. I'm your host, Adam, with my co-host, Chris. We've gotten a lot of listeners over the past week or so, so we just wanted to give a quick refresher of who we are and what this podcast is about. I'm a 650 beer miler uh, and also the co-owner of BeerMile.com. This is my co-host, Chris. That's my name, don't wear it out. Two-time Beer Mile World Champion, Beer Mile American record holder with the time of 4.37, as well as the Beer 2 Mile world record with the time of 10.18. If you wanna see those videos, peep our Beer Mile Media YouTube channel and check them out. We're really excited and honored to have all of these new listeners tuning in. We're approaching a thousand listeners at this point. We never thought we'd be this far, so few episodes in. So thank you all for the support. And to give back for that, we really want to start doing giveaways every single episode. So starting now, if you like and subscribe to Beer Mile Media on YouTube, like the video uh, for the podcast that you're listening to now, and either comment on the video or screenshot that you liked and subscribed to us and DM one of us, Chris Roberts intent on Instagram, the real Adam on Instagram, or the underscore beer underscore mile on Instagram. DM proof that you liked and subscribed. We're gonna give away anything you want from the beermile.com store, shirt, hat, mug, etc. And if you screenshot proof that you shared the podcast with a friend, either through text message, Instagram message, whatever the case may be, you're gonna be entered multiple times. The reality is not everyone's a winner. The world is full of favoritism. So if you share the podcast with a lot of people, share it on your Insta story, et cetera, we're probably going to, you know, be more likely to give you a gift and give you a giveaway. So uh, that's just how things work. Share it with multiple people and we'll probably give you something cool. We're here bringing you exclusive interviews with athletes. Uh, I I would say not quite uh, standard interviews, Uh, definitely more about them as people, more than them as athletes. Yeah, it's not just about running. There's enough running podcasts out there already. It's really about the behind the scenes of the running, the life of a runner, the mentality that goes along with that the career side of things, the business side of things. So today we're joined by the Irish Renaissance man of running himself, Kieran O'Leonard. We talk about his uh, transition from a young Irishman to competing in the NCAAs in the US, as well as his transition from that to pro running. This is an amazing comeback story from being an Olympian representing Ireland to hardly running a step for several years and working a nine to five job to now trying to make it back to the Olympics. I've personally been following Kiran for almost 10 years now, I believe. I think he brings a lot to the sport of running that a lot of other distance runners don't. Um, similar to, to NFL or to NBA where there's a personality and a person uh, that's there to entertain you behind just the running skill. 
I think he totally exemplifies that. And so it was great to talk to him about his roller coaster of a ride through injuries and through his time away from pro running and now making a comeback on the Not Dead Yet Tour, potentially trying to qualify for the 2021 Olympics to represent Ireland again. And during his downtime, getting some insight into his lifestyle, his time with, at Burning Man, his DJing, and all those other cool things that you know make up Kiran as a person. And a special treat exclusive to the Beer Mile podcast, Kiran's doing a mini set showing off some of his DJ abilities at the end of the podcast. So stick around to that. It's going to be a mashup that you're definitely going to want to listen to while you're working, running, etc. We're excited to have that at the end. So a little bit of a longer episode today. But with good reason, the interview with Kiran is super entertaining as well as his DJ set at the end. So with that, crack a beer, sit back, relax, and enjoy this interview with Kiran, as well as some vibes at the end of the podcast. Kiran, welcome to the show. And in honor of uh, you being on, we are drinking one of your favorite beers or maybe your favorite beer, Coors Banquet in a Bottle. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's good to be here. You're making me a little bit jealous because I'm, I'm off the beer this week. But uh, yeah, have one or two extra for me. Um, I'd appreciate that. Yeah, I don't, that won't be a challenge. That, that's not a challenge. That's not a hope challenge. You, hope you bought a 12 pack, not a six. <laughs> <laughs> we did get a 12 pack. There you um, go. Good. Excellent. So we're really excited to have you on, uh, especially with your comeback to running and the Not Dead Yet tour that's happening this current year. Uh, yep. Talk a little bit about that. We'll, we'll dive into your past as well and kind of your running career progression, but tell us a little bit about your current state of where you're at and and how things have gone the last few months and where you're looking to go in the course of 2021. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's 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 been a crazy year for everybody, right? And um, I, I feel like the world has been turned on its head and, you know, people's individual lives have been, have been altered. And, um, you know, I, I think you know, anyone I talk to, whether they're people that are close to me or people that I don't, I barely know, um, that are either struggling with COVID or, or, or you know, the, the lockdown, et cetera, or people who are, who are just floating through it. I think one of the, the key threads is that those who kind of have a project to work on um, and something that's moving in a, a linear direction and moving forward is a good thing. And, um, you know, I, I took the return to running on um, as COVID hit and I was sitting in Portland staring out of window at gray skies after a long winter and, um, you know, staring down the barrel of what lockdown might look like. And, um, yeah, you know, it's, it's been a long time. I've been four years retired from the sport. Um, now back in it since April 2nd, I called my, uh, my agent, Stephen Haas, um, who managed me along with Chris Lay, my first go around as a pro on, on April 2nd, literally nursing a pretty big hangover and said, I, I need to just, I need some good, healthy living. I think I need to see some sun. And he said, come on up. I booked a flight, flew here three days later or three hours later. Um, I flew up there on April 2nd, up here on April 2nd. And um, yeah, I've been here since then, um, I, you know, a few stints here and there in, in Los Angeles, but for the most part in flag building. And um, there wasn't really an intention to dive full head on into um, training. And there wasn't really a goal, an end goal in mind when I first came up here beyond live healthy. But um, as you guys might understand, I think there's a competitor in me and I did feel like I left my career with, with some unfinished business and um, untapped potential, I suppose. Um, and so it's, it's been fun to kind of chase that this summer. The momentum's good. And yeah, it's, it's still a little bit week by week. Like, um, 
you know, the lockdown is extended. Um, as I get fitter, you know, um, it become, you know, the idea of Tokyo becomes a little more realistic, not just kind of a pipe dream. And we just keep it rolling. You know, I think nobody knows what's going to shake out in the next six, eight, 12 months. Um, but I'm happy to be living healthy and, uh, and chasing a goal. It's fun. Do you think like, I guess in the past uh, four or five years, you see, I think in another podcast, you mentioned that you really didn't have like a drop of running between <laughs> retirement and, and now maybe a half hour jog every other week. Sure. You have like a, a, or do you feel like you have a different relationship with the sport now, or is it kind of like just rekindling the same fire? Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, you know, by the end of my time, like, um, running professionally, you know, I've been running for 20 years. Um, and I think from 2012 to 2016, I, I battled obviously a pretty bad Achilles injury, but it was really, um, I think culmination of a string of, of biomechanical issues stemming from like a, a bulging back disc. I had my back when I was 18, um, creating a lot of different imbalances. And it got to the point where 2015 and 2016, I just, just going for a jog was really hard. You know, I would take like an hour of preparation just to get out the door and everything hurt. Um, and I just, I, I didn't feel like I was in my own body anymore. Um, I think when you're, especially when you're trying your hardest, I'm working really hard and actually you're getting aerobically pretty fit, but structurally your body is breaking down. Um, you feel like you're a prisoner in your own body of sorts. Um, it's a tough place to be. Um, and I was just really disheartened by that. And it took a lot of the love of the sport away from me, to be honest. And when I, when I stopped in 2016, I just, <clears throat> I just totally removed myself from that, um, and, and, um, you know, I was working in the Jordan brand and, um, to, again, totally removed from the sport of running besides a few bits and pieces. And I, I did in the track world. Um, and I, I was good for me. I think, you know, I think it, it allowed me to broaden horizons a bit, see some new things. Um, and I think refresh, um, my mind while my body was healing. Um, there was no end goal to come back to running. Uh, it's just, again, one of those things where, I think stars have aligned a little bit and on timing, my body feeling healthy again, COVID hitting, um, the, the, the vacuum of time to just chase a goal is here. And, and here we are. Um, I definitely do feel like, yeah, um, I come back to the sport now kind of, it's, it's like kind of cure on 2.0 in a way. I, I, I get to kind of draw a line and start with a clean slate and take every day as it comes and just enjoy running healthy again. I mean, when you've been as hurt, hurt as long as I've been, um, you don't take for granted any day that you can get out and run pain free. And that's been really fun. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think we share a similar story in that I don't think we would have started this podcast without COVID-19 quarantine because it, <laughs> we found ourselves, you know, sitting at home with a little more time on our hands. And uh, yeah. we kind of have always talked about starting a podcast and just yeah. decided to dive into it. So definitely sharing that. And it, it seems like you've progressed pretty well so far throughout to come back to running, are you still feeling overall very healthy and uh, motivated and energized? And and how has that progressed week by week? Yeah, it's it's been good. Like I think, um, you know, one thing that I've always been able to do, even even in the times that that I was I was injured and you know had surgeries and was trying to come back um, first go around, you know, and again from 2012 to 2016 was I was always able to get aerobically back into shape quite quick. Um, almost to the degree, I think that structurally my body was playing catch up. Um, and there was a bit of imbalance between how quickly my heart and lungs could develop versus like, um, tendons, you know, ligaments, et cetera. And I think that that created issues because my body just wasn't where my, my heart, you know, my heart and lungs were, um, again, I think this, this go around with no races, it's, it's been the first time 
I, in a long time, probably since I really made my breakthrough in 2010, 2011, that I've, I've been able to take like eight, six, eight months and actually build from the ground up and not really get carried away, even if I'm feeling good. Um, and the other part is like really taking a new approach to, to rehab. Like uh, my first go around, I definitely was always rushing to find the next fix, you know, for what my injuries were. And you go to a PT or you go to this specialist, you go to this surgeon and you obviously, you know, you get their advice and you, you go full, I'm someone who goes full on into stuff. Like I, I, I have a plan. I'm all in on it. Um, and this time around, it was actually kind of good not having almost a PT with me. I was able to call up people I trusted like um, David Campbell. And then I would, I would work with hypo two Cairo here in, in Flagstaff um, periodically. And, and, and that, and, and kind of make my own routine up. Um, and it was a lot of trial and error. Like the first three months, like I still wasn't moving the right way. Like my, I had, a, I had a right hip issue. Um, I have a lot of issues stemming from my boat, my back disc where like my, my, my left leg would just like lose sensation from time to time. And that was still happening, but bit by bit through trial and error each week, I would, I would try this exercise, this exercise and pick, find out what worked, what didn't. And slowly, but surely kind of like cut out and filter out the stuff that was not relevant and get a really dialed rehab routine. And that served me really well. And I still evolved that, um, pretty much weekly, you know, I'm adding new bits and pieces in. I try and publish it online for people too. Cause again, I think it, I, I've never taken that approach of like taking full ownership of my own kind of um, injury and rehabilitation program, but it's worked really, really well. Um, so it's, it's not been without its speed bumps, but I, when you don't, when you're not staring at like a race, um, you know, being in a month's time and you're just saying, okay, I got to do what I need to get ready for this race. Instead you say, okay, I have basically almost unlimited time right now. How do I get, how do I take the, the best, um, most methodical approach to things that, that, uh, approach has, has worked really, really well. And, and so far so good. I mean, healthy and, and, and building week on week. I, I'm still, I would say, you know, biomechanically not a hundred percent where I am, but I'd say I was probably 85% uh, where I would want to be two months ago. And I'm probably like 95% right now. So just small tweaks and dialing a few little things in. And I think we'll be in a pretty good spot. Yeah. Looking back, what was the longest stretch you ever had without an injury um, based on what I've seen at least throughout your time at Michigan and then yep. in start of your pro career, et cetera, you've kind of always had one thing or another crop up. So what has been your longest training block where you have been injury free and it's, it seems like you're putting together and stacking a good block right now. Yeah. I'd say, you know, I'd say, um, I mean, obviously as a teenager, I, 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 uh, until I had my, um, my back disc injury in, in, in 2000, in 2006, um, my, would be like my seat. I was in secondary school in Ireland, but it would be, um, in American terms, my, my senior year of high school, I went into that, I went into that, uh, that year as like a, you know, equivalent of a 406 miler and kind of thought I'd have a good crack at breaking four minutes and, um, hurt my back right before that outdoor season. Um, and that kind of started the chain of, probably, you know, four years of, of various injuries at Michigan. And it wasn't until uh, my last year going into my final year at FSU from probably July of 2010, I got a clean run um, all the way until, you know, um, Worlds in 2011. And that's where I was able to go from 348 in the 1500 to 334 um, and make a final. And then um, I was healthy through the following fall with the Oregon Project. And then my Achilles um, flared up kickstarted another four years of injury. So it's honestly really probably been just that 2010 to 2011 period of time um, 
that I was able to just get a clean run. And, and honestly, the training during that, during that time wasn't anything uh, crazy. It was just being able to run healthy uh, and probably uh, is partly why I feel confident in, in my ability to maybe come back and do something now, even if it seems a little crazy to most people, because I've done that once before, like I'm used to four year layoffs and then coming out of nowhere. So um, <laughs> why not try it again? You know? Exactly. Exactly. So, so going back to uh, your time in Ireland as a, yeah. as a youth, uh, young Kiran. Um, so how did you get into the sport of running and then what, how did you progress? And I guess, what other sports were you involved in? How did you yeah. running as a sport? And then obviously you were, had a lot of success as a junior in Ireland and were good enough to make the jump to coming to the United States for college and having a scholarship related to that. So what was that progression like throughout your childhood? Yeah, I, I started running at quite a young age. Um, you know, uh, my brothers and I, I have two younger brothers. Um, we were put into sports quite young. I started swimming when I was three. Um, and um, always, I grew up in a dairy farm, re- really remote. The nearest village is like five miles away um, from, from my house. Um, we, we grew up in a dairy farm and I'm the eldest of three boys and, and, and ran, ran around and walked around. I don't think my, my mom would say she never saw me without a, a football in my hand, you know. <laughs> and I'm one of those kids with... Um, boundless energy, I guess. Um, and I think one day she gets sick, sick of me banging the ball against the wall of the house. We had like a a white, whitewash, white painted wall that would just get covered in dirt because I kept kicking this ball against it. She's like, all right, we're taking you to, um, get some of this energy worked out and brought me to the local running club when I was seven years old. And, um, yeah, I mean, literally from there, it just kind of, just kind of kickstarted like, um, my first cross country race when I was eight, um, in Ireland, there's a big underage system. You know, the club system is much bigger. It's it's probably more focal point than uh, than um, than high school running is um, or middle school running. So um, ran with my club um, out near near my my hometown um, and had success from pretty young age. You know, I, I was I was setting some records and winning kind of underage national titles from when I was 10, um, 10, 11, and <clears throat> eventually I think kind of grew out of kind of the club I was in. Um, and there was a club in the city in Cork city, which is about 45 minute drive away, um, called Leeville. Um, and Leeville has got a big tradition in, in middle distance running, uh, Marcus O'Sullivan, who ran at Villanova world indoor champion, um, coaches at Villanova. Now Mark Carroll, who's a, uh, 3 K guy, 13 minute, five K guy, um, both at Leeville along with kind of a slew of other Cork runners who, who went to the U S big tradition there. And I started running with those, those guys, uh, you know, the, the, the runners in the team when I was probably 12, 13 and I was thrown in almost immediately with, you know, uh, 18 to 19 year old guys, you know, um, and a lot of guys who'd be home from, from America uh, on scholarship. And, and that was kind of the big thing. It was like, these were, these guys were heroes, you know, it was like, you go into scholarship to the U S you were this kind of God, you know, and I, I love to try and kick some lumps into them when they came back in the summertime. Um, and I was always one of those kids. Yeah. I was just chomping at the bit to, to get after it. And, and showed some promise, I think, from, you know, being in workouts with older guys from, from a pretty young age. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, so that's kind of how it, how it took off. Um, you know, through my teenage years, uh, my coaches in the club became kind of a, a bigger part of my life. I spent, um, for, for various reasons, more time, a lot of time probably in the city relative to home um, as a teenager. Um, and just soaked in being around guys that were older than me, stronger than me, um, and my, my, uh, my coach, my primary coach in the club would, would get track and field news mail from the U S every, uh, every month or whatever. And 
um, I remember I would just pour over those, those issues and, and look at these NCAA race results. And um, he, at the same time as my coaches were telling me, you can, you can do this, you can go to the US and get a scholarship and, and make kind of a life for yourself, get an education. Um, so it was instilled into me from a pretty young age, you know, probably 14, 15, that this was the path I was going to take. Um, I think there's just a tradition of that, that pipeline and that route running through yeah. Leeville Athletic Club in Ireland. So um, yeah, that was, that was, that was the motive. I, my, my heart was pretty set on it. Um, from, from when I was probably yeah, like 14 years old, I played Gaelic football, um, you know, out, out in my home, my home parish, um, Evlera, um, from, you know, the age of like nine through like 14, 15. And then I think, you know, it, it got to a point to where, you know, I was, I was running some pretty fast times, um, and, and winning national titles and, you know, like anything, I think the time comes where you, you say, okay, now is time to focus on, on one thing. And, Gaelic games I, I loved Gaelic football but um it's an amateur sport in Ireland and I knew that that running would be a pathway to do um a little more you know um and so so went full on into it and yeah it was it was again up until I had that back disc injury um progressing year on year we we had a really you know I thought the training in Leeville was 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 quite hard um very low volume you know 20 miles a week probably um but hard hard workouts you know I mean I, by even when I was 15, 16 years old, I was, I was running 10 by a quarter in 60 seconds off 60, you know, which you guys know is probably like a, a four minute mile indicator, you know? Oh yeah. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> and um, we would do this, um, you know, sand dune workout, which is probably still the hardest workout I, I can, I can remember doing, um, which is, you know, 30 by a 150 up this sand dune hill, <laughs> we'd run back down and I would do this with the older guys, you know? So there was always someone to level up and measure up against, um, so it was, it was, it was a, it was a great place to learn. You know, um, I think I got exposed to a high level of athletics from a young age. And, and I think Ireland, Ireland can be at times a bit of a, um, you know, it can be a small pond, I guess, if, if you're just looking at um, horizontally across maybe your age group and you're winning national titles um, and you're running like, okay, so you're running a, a, a record or, you know, a national record for an underage and, you might think oh, I'm doing great, but I always had somebody older than me to probably level up to um, and want to beat. So again, it's, it set me up pretty well for um, coming to the U S where obviously the, the level of competition is, is extremely high. Yeah, definitely. And you chose university of Michigan, yep. um, which is your, your typical college town, um, yep. where, big you know, state school. Yeah, big state school yep. football program, as well as you got to train with Nick Willis while you were there. Yeah. Uh, so in, in coming to the U.S., you, you mentioned that you trained with uh, some some folks in Ireland that yep. were, you know, on scholarship in the U.S., et cetera. Yep. Was your thought process for wanting to go to one of those big state schools, get that true American college experience? Did that kind of come from them? And then in your time at University of Michigan, although you had to deal with a lot of injuries and overcome that and maybe running didn't go quite as you had hoped, um, yep. how was your time there? Did you really get to, did you enjoy that uh, American college experience kind of as we both went to a state school as well. Very, very similar vibe. And, and what, were, what were your thoughts on that? Did you enjoy it? Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's funny. I actually think it's, you know, probably the, the choice to go to a bigger state school was probably the, the antithesis of, of, of what most Irish athletes choose as, as a route. Like uh, I think a lot of Irish guys, especially in, in you know, even in Leeville would have, would have gone the Villanova route because the pipeline was there. And um, at the time, I think, you know, Villanova, Providence, Iona, um, were really the three schools that maybe Arkansas that had that big tradition in, in, in 
top level Irish distance runners, you know, coming over and attending those schools. Um, I, I had kind of, um, you know, I think gone through my teenage years with a little bit of a turbulence probably in family and, and personal. And by the time I had reached the age of like 16, 17, I, I kind of wanted to get as far away from that as, as possible. And um, I think the idea of going to a bigger state school and trying a different route where no Irish people had really gone um, was pretty appealing to me at that time. Um, and, and so I kind of set my sights on, on, on taking a different path. Um, so I looked at, uh, Michigan, I looked at Florida state, I looked at Texas, Georgetown and, um, Arkansas. Um, and Arkansas was really intriguing to me because obviously John McDonald had coached a lot of Irish guys and it seemed like a really good blend of big state school experience, real Americana. Um, but kind of had that, um, tradition of Irish guys, um, Nell Bruton had gone there and had a lot of success. Alistair Craig had run really, really well. Colin Costler, who was a really talented junior, had gone there just before me. But I was a little bit concerned. John McDonald was, was getting up there in age. And I was, I was concerned that I might go there in 2006 and, and, and he might retire during the time I was there. And I didn't, at the time, want to deal with the coaching change, you know, leaving Ireland and, and, and you know, leaving a system that I really believed in with Leeville, making a transition, then potentially having to make a transition again during college was not something I was interested in. So I kind of scratched that one, even though it was really appealing to me and then just narrowed down my options and actually committed to Florida state. Originally um, I was committed to Florida state and I, I went to the Boston indoor games, which is now the new balance grand prix um, high school mile. Um, and uh, Ron Warris convinced me to get a, have a meeting with him, even though I, you know, I committed and um, met with him and, and Ronnie just has a, such a unique energy. Um, and uh he ended up bringing the, the Michigan team was racing <clears throat> at the, uh, the uh, um, BU uh, that fast track at, at BU um, like the terrier invite or one of these meets the day before um, Boston. So I went and watched the team team compete. And then un, unbeknownst to me, Ronnie had bought the whole team tickets to the Boston indoor games and they all showed up with Irish flags for the race. Um, let's talk about a recruiting move, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, I, I, at the time I was blown away by that. And, and, um, you know, decided to, to go to Michigan and Michigan is what, you know, they come off, you know, that they come off a, an amazing year, um, you know, where they, they swept Penn, you know, it was Willis Brennan, um, Mike Woods and Andrew Ellerton was just an amazing foursome. And, um, you know, I, I think probably in my, in my mind, I'd said, I'm just going to level up and train with these guys. Um, in hindsight, you know, of course, hindsight is 2020. I think that jump was probably a little steep considering I had just been running 20 miles a week, et cetera. Um, but at the time I was like, hell yeah, let's do it. Um, so I went to Michigan and I, you know, it was, uh, it was, it was an interesting time there. I mean, um, I, I just ended up having, you know, injury problems stemming from the back disc. Obviously that, that came about back disc injury came about right after I kind of committed, um, that indoors after that indoor season. And then I showed up to Michigan, not a hundred percent and, um, had a string of bad luck. Like I got a couple of really bad staph infections when I was there a couple of other random injury stuff. Achilles was an issue. Um, I, I was kind of pulled into the Willis uh, uh, Brandon training group pretty early because I, I, I had the hunger to do so and was able to work out at a pretty high level in spite of inconsistency. And I think like, again, in hindsight, like I was, I was beating myself to death training with those guys, doing amazing workouts, but never seeing the, the, um, the payoff for it. Like, I think if you'd ask Willis in 2008, when he, when he won his Olympic uh, silver medal that now could, should be upgraded probably. Um, 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 
he'd tell you, you know, I was, I was doing probably 90% of the stuff with him. Um, but again, was probably showing up to races, just um, beat down and tired and, and a little hurt. And um, it was, it was, it was frustrating. You know, I think it's always tough when you're beating your head against the wall and you're not getting the results. And after three years, I, I, I hadn't PR'd in the 15, you know, since, since high school. And I said like, you know, I have two years of eligibility. I can either keep beating myself, my head against the wall or, or try something different. And um, yeah, uh, decided to, uh, to, to, to ask for a transfer and Ronnie was great about it. He understood, I think that um, I need, I needed a change and, 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 and just needed a new stimulus to see if something else worked and got released to Florida state. Thankfully coach Brayman was, uh, was still believed there was some talent um, <laughs> beat up, uh, washed up uh, red shirt junior um, athlete and, and, and took a shot on me and, um, yeah, you know, I transferred to Florida state and, and really things, um, things progressed really well from there. Yeah. And so through this whole time, so you had a few, few years in uh, Michigan that didn't go according to plan, but then yep. transferring to Florida state had some success. Uh, yep. you were, your team was second at cross country nationals. You yep. also helped, uh, the team secure a conference championship with the yep. 15, 5k double, yep. um, Throughout that entire time, were was pro running in the back of your mind as something you wanted to pursue, or were you thinking of career and a different path outside of that? Um, especially during some of those tougher times, where where you weren't PRing and and running wasn't really coming to fruition like you were hoping for. Yeah, um, no, I mean pro running was not really in 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 the focus. I think at that point, like um, I. I wanted to, I think in general, you know, I was unhappy at Michigan because my, you know, my results weren't going well. Um, I think in general, I'd wanted just a change of scene and, and, and a different environment. Um, originally going down to Florida state was just like, just kind of flip things in their head and just take a life change, you know? Um, and when I got there, you know, I still had a lot of lingering injury stuff and it took about a year to resolve that. But coach Raymond was really patient. Like he supported me in getting my undergrad degree done and, and said he was going to bring me back for a fifth year because this was kind of a long-term buy-in to my potential and my potential to help the team. And I, I really going in, you know, so my, my, my fourth year was just basically building from building a foundation from which I could maybe um, do something off of. And it was still littered with injuries here and there, but all the way along, I just, you know, I kept rehabbing and, and Braven just said like, look, by your fifth year, you're going to be able to be a contributor. Just do the rehab, do the aqua jogging, do the cross training, be in the gym um, and, and did all that through my fourth year. And then again, and like it, it was, he showed um, a tremendous faith in my ability because not a lot of coaches would have, I think, taken an athlete like me on knowing that they, it would take them a, a, a year to just bring me back to health just for one fifth year. But he, I think he believed in the team where we were going to put together for that fifth year and cross. We had some, we had some kind of diamonds in the rough. We had pieces that people didn't know a lot about, but um had some potential like Mike Fout had been injured a bit, but he was footlocker champion myself. And we knew we could pull something pretty special together. So honestly, you know, going into that fifth year, I had no thoughts about turning pro. I didn't, it wasn't even looking to track season. It was more, can, can we do something as a team um, to put Florida state um, on the map and, and, and put a team from the South and the ACC, um, you know, kind of a big football school in the South state school in the South with, you know, 2.2 scholarships attributed to distance. Could, could we put a school like that where it's never been, you know, in the NCAA cross meet? And that was really the goal. Um, and we all bought into that hundred percent and um, took a very careful, you know, methodical approach to the buildup in that season, 
you know, we were like ninth in our first meet at the Appalachian State Cross Country Invitational. You know, we were ninth. That same team got second in NCAA Cross. Just again, built really patiently through the year, and that was really the goal. And then once that was done, I remember my my uh, my girlfriend at the time and I like took a I took a month off running and just went home to Ireland. And she came back with me for Christmas. I didn't run a step. I didn't have indoor um, eligibility, so I I started running again on like, you know. I think actually I took more than a month off because it was a really bad storm in the U.S. I remember that winter and I couldn't get back to the U.S. because I was supposed to fly through Philadelphia and the flights kept getting canceled. <laughs> so I ended, up, I ended up running a step until January 1st. Um, and then again, just took a really slow approach. And we, we, we said, look, let's try and run a 10K because traditionally track work is what has been my undoing from an injury standpoint. So I said, let's try and do the stand for 10K and see what we can run. So for that spring, I was literally just running uh, nine mile tempo run once a week and then like five by a mile um you know we fsu we did we did a lot of mile reps where you would run a mile like in 450 um you know five of those in 450 but your recovery would be a 490 you know so six minute pace so it still add up to kind of a pretty decent six seven mile chunk of of, of running just did that every week um and i went to stanford and ran like 28 30 off that um feeling like really really easy uh and then we're like oh shit we might be onto something here <clears throat> And, you know, we like, maybe we should try five. So I was going to run the five at ACCs. And so it was like three weeks later. And then Raymond said, all right, we'll run a 15 at the home meet. And I hadn't run a 15 in three years at that point. And I hadn't PR'd since my junior year of high school. Um, and I sold at the 341. At the time, I think I was like leading the NCAA in like two, two events, you know? Yeah. I'm like, oh shit. Like, and I had a stepped on the track, you know? <laughs> <laughs> this is kind of interesting, you know? Um, <clears throat> so... And then the following week we go to ACCs and Virginia Tech was really good. Um, they had won the indoor meet. We had a big rivalry and um, no love lost between our teams. And um, we kind of had added up all the points. Um, you know, Coach Brayman and I had developed a pretty close relationship at that point where I go into his office and we'd, we'd, we'd spitball training. We'd talk what we needed to do from a race standpoint to, to like beat Virginia Tech. And um, we, said, we said, like, let's go. We had, we had enough guys in the tents. So we said, let's go 15-5. We knew Robbie was in the 15, so um, kind of hatched a plan to just like um, go full burners from the go um, and then come back and see if we could pull something together in the five and get some points. And I ended up running, like winning the, the 15 and 340 and doubling back in 1352. And I think that was probably, probably after that meet, it was like, okay, I think, I think, um, I think like, I have some ability at this and I think I might be able to take this somewhere. I still didn't know that I was going to be able to turn pro necessarily, but I think after that meet, it was probably the first time I was like, okay, I think I'm going to probably run beyond 2011 because where I've come from in a year, just by running and doing some very, very simple stuff, um, but effective stuff. Um, yeah, I, I, I had some pretty good results and um, started to kind of focus in on, on running being kind of a real thing from there, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Before we get into the transition to pro running, yep. one question about college. So both University of Michigan, Florida State, um, known to be, you know, pretty big party schools, football schools, I guess a lot of a lot of state schools, <laughs> party schools. But were you able to partake in, in some of that while you were there and experience that? Or were you pretty on the straight and narrow for the most part during the season and really focused on the running aspect of it? Yeah, I think, you know, it, it kind of went hand in hand with when I was injured or not injured. I mean, I think um, it's funny, you know, like I, I think people will see a runner pick up a beer and, and they'll say, or we're running with a beer and they'll say, oh, you know, all runners, are you runners drinking beer? Um, so, you know, so many people think runners do everything the right way. 
Um, and then kind of latch onto that as if like, oh my God, like, you know, runners drink beer and go out and can run. And I think like that is true to an extent, but like that has to stop somewhere, you know, like I, I think whenever I have had success, like I have been locked in, like, I think it is, it is, it is fun, you know, for people to, to think, oh yeah, like this, this guy's raging and then he's running really well. Um, and you can do, you can do that for a period of time probably, but, um, I think it has a shelf life and, and, and I will say by, by the, uh, by the by the time my fifth year came I was pretty locked in like I think being in a relationship probably helped um you know I lived with my girlfriend at the time and we just cooked and kept it pretty simple um and um yeah like I was I was I was pretty locked in I, I gotta say I was pretty locked in I know people loved it, the the alternative like now nah, I was rage and have a great time but um yeah I, in 2011 I was I was dialed and I think I think got the results out of it as a result you know yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's always a trade-off between the, I guess it kind of depends on what level of running you're at the trade-off between, you know, you're really focused on the running and, and a lot of D one folks are obviously, but that, that trade-off versus, you know, how much do I want to indulge in the the college lifestyle and, and all of that as well. And the, the party atmosphere too. So I think um, it's, I think it's a balance too. I think it's just being intentional about what you're doing. Like I right. think, um, I'm, I'm always someone, I mean, I, 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 I love a beer. I love five, five of them, but, uh, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I, I try and pick my moments when I, when that makes sense. And, um, yep. you know, again, like, I think it can be romanticized the idea that, um, someone is doing like doing both and it works. And again, like it, it can, and I think balance is really important, but I think there is a, I was even having a conversation with Hassel today about this. Like I had a few too many beers on Thanksgiving and I did a nine mile tempo on, on, on Friday and it went really well, but I, I like my entire dinner was on the, on the ground afterwards, you know, and probably a couple of beers. Um, and I just looked at him, I said, like, okay, this, I'm not, I'm not doing this again, you know? And, yeah, no and sometimes it's good to have those moments where you realize, all right, like it's time to lock it in, you know, lock it up. And, um, you know, c- coming back to running has been, has been, um, an interesting exploration of that. Cause obviously I lived f- for four years where I just didn't give a shit about what I ate or what I drank. Um, now again, it's learning how to be intentional again, not to say I don't ever, I'm not ever going to drink, but you, you pick your moments. And I think in college, I did a pretty good job when I was dialed in, especially that fifth year of picking those moments carefully, you know? Do you think you're a lot more calculated about what was as good as possible for your body versus like somebody else's? It's kind of, it seems very similar to now where you're approaching training from like a top down, um, view, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely, um, I think one thing that I had in, in, you know, by the time I had, uh, I had run, you know, I got into my fifth year at Florida state, like I had had a lot of disappointments, but I knew really well what worked for me and what didn't. And I came, I came to coach Braden with a point of view and, and his LT based approach worked really well for me. But I think we our our, um, our dynamic was really good. Um, and I, I believed in what I was doing and I was, I was like a confident, I was confident in, in my own ability to tweak bits and pieces. Like, again, I did a different lifting program with the team because I had the back problem. I made my own lifting program again at FSU. And it, it is funny, like when you turn pro and you obviously join these, you know, join a group and, and, um, you kind of press reset and you kind of buy into, you almost, you're going to start at the bottom of the, of the ladder necessarily, but I think I, you definitely lose a bit of the, that kind of confidence you have in, in taking ownership of what you're doing. Um, and, and, and it's taken again, probably all this time until now for me to, in the pro running world or, or, you know, Olympic level, um, 
training um, environment um, believe in kind of my own point of view and what I'm doing. Um, and that's where I think, again, my dynamic with Haas here, um, Stephen Haas, who's, who's coaching me as well as being my, my, my agent, um, has worked really, really well because um, we, go, we go on a run and we chat through things and um, we have a good like almost telepathy where if I have an idea, a point of view that I'm trying to bring, he's almost already thought about it. Um, and it's happened a couple of times, which is, which is obviously super cool. Um, but it allows us to have like some mutual ownership on it. Um, and, and again, it's working well. It does feel a little bit like it is that, that kind of fifth year at FSU, um, repeated a little bit, which is, which is exciting. Cause I, I didn't feel like there was a ceiling on me that year. And I, I don't, I don't know what can happen coming out of this comeback, but I don't feel like there's necessarily a ceiling on, on it this time around either. You know, do you think that that's kind of like the big difference is taking ownership and either your, your rehab or like part of your training is like, that's when you're able to excel. I, I think it, look, I think it depends on the athlete, you know? Um, I think, um, you, you know, some athletes get, get a clean run at it, you know? And, and, um, and I think it's, it's athletes who are probably injury prone or have, have to deal with inconsistencies in training that probably need to learn to take ownership the most. I think if you're pretty resilient and pretty durable, it's, it's an attribute I wished I had, I wish I had, but um, you, you can't have them all. You, sometimes you can't even have some. So I, I have what I have. Um, and, 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 and so, the, you know, it kind of works for me to take ownership. I, I see, I see programs where total buy-in to the system is, it also works really well. But, but I think inherently I am someone who, who does buy-in, you know, like I'm, I'm 100% bought into to Hass's plan. I just, um, you know, I, I, I'm able to build the necessary pieces around it um, that are specific to me, which is my hour every day I do here in the makeshift gym I have that get me ready to show up every day and do the work that he prescribes. Um, and that's kind of the interaction. Um, it's working well for now. Um, what, what might work for other runners? I, I've seen multiple approaches work, but uh, like I said, I think it, it's, it's time consuming enough to concern myself with what I'm doing. So yeah. So, yeah. so I'll, I'll just roll with that. Yeah, definitely. It, having listened to your earlier in the year, you did a podcast with Sidious Mag. You also did one with runner beans podcasts. Um, yeah. I listened to those and, it seems like from that time, which I think those were roughly May, June of 2020 yeah. versus now, you seem much more focused, disciplined, and committed to, yeah. to the goals and to the running than you were back then. It seems like you've come a long way over the past few months. Um, I'm assuming a lot of that is related to just you're still healthy, you're still growing, you're training, you're still getting faster, fitter, et cetera. Yeah. Um, the, as you've progressed through this, then, is the is the goal of – or I guess, what are the goals? Is the 2021 Olympics a goal now? Is it still just a week by week? I'm going to do what I can train, do the, uh, commit to the process and see what happens. Where's your head at? Yeah. Really? yeah, it's, it's, um, it's funny. Like, so let me see how I can answer that. Um, you know, I think that if, if Tokyo 2021 is to happen, then the best approach for me to take is the one I've taken all along, which is that I do take it week by week and build because it's worked to this point And I think it'll keep working um, as opposed to saying, you know, it's almost like a top down bottoms up approach, right? We're like, okay, here's Tokyo 2021 here. And I want to make it, I'm going to do what it takes to get there as opposed to, I'm just going to make myself build myself into the best athlete I can be in the space of the next six to eight months and see what happens. I think I'm taking the latter approach. Um, but it's starting to feel 
from um, some of the workout indicators and just how I'm feeling that um, something pretty good could happen. Um, and, you know, I, I, especially probably it's been the last three weeks, I'd say three to four weeks. Um, you know, there's been a couple of workouts where I, you know, I look at Hass afterwards and we kind of say, uh, I think, we, think this, I think, think we got to start, you know, seeing this as a reality, you know, and that's exciting. Um, you know, I, I think, um, Hass has taken a shot on me, you know, I, you know, and, and I give him a lot of credit for, for not just taking, taking me and give in and give me, give me a, an environment here to just live healthy and get off the beer for a few months, but then also build a training plan for me and, 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 and have belief in what I can do. I, I feel like the duty I owe to him, um, drives a little bit of that, um, I guess, Olympic or high level aspiration in the sport again. Um, I think my own goals and my own aspirations, um, they're there, but I, I, I feel like the best way to get to them is just going to be to keep putting in the work. Um, I mean, we're seeing a lot, I think we're just seeing really good returns on what's happening right now. Um, and, and just rolling with it. So yeah, I, I am, I am in a different place than I was in, in May and June for sure. Um, and I think again, yeah, I'm starting to, um, to lock things up a little bit. Like I, I did a long training spell from April until August. And then we paced that LA meet and I was a little beat up my hip flexor. I'd strained it, um, going into that meet and I paced those races and it was fine. Um, and, uh, <clears throat> the next week everyone was taking kind of some downtime and, uh, it was the week of burning man, which I, I have gone to burning man like the last four years. Um, but obviously it wasn't happening this year, but my whole camp decided to meet up and we went camping and I, I took 10 full days off and just disappeared off the grid. Um, I didn't think about running at all. Um, and I came back feeling amazing. I think I made a huge jump in fitness during that break and came back honestly from that, a different athlete. Um, and since then, I think the, without me really thinking about it, I think my focus has shifted and my behaviors, my lifestyle, how I'm approaching things has just been dialed up. The intensity has been dialed up a little bit. Um, not, not without me even really thinking about it. It's just, the process that's taken place. And, and I, all I do is I roll with it and try and do the smart things day to day to, to keep it moving, you know? Let's go then. Uh, wanted to cover off on your transition to pro running from collegiate running. Um, so number one, you went, you found basically the, the highest performing, the highest level elite group in the US um, with yep. Mo and Galen and Dathan. So yep. describe a little bit that process and which other brands, if any, and other groups were you considering yeah. at that time and what ultimately led you to, to that training group? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm trying to think back, you know, that summer was interesting, right? Like I, I, I didn't, I didn't make the, I, I finished dead last in the NCAA 10 K, you know, I, I ran the five K 10 K double at NCAAs, which did not go well. And I came out with like no contract um, and, and total sports, Chris Lane and Hass took a shot on me and, floated me to go back to Europe and race a little bit. Cause they're like, you got to race. Like you got to race. There's something more in here. And, you know, we go to Europe and do the Leuven tour and, um, and all that. And I was getting some decent times and then popped one, you know, somewhat innocuously at a, at a super small meet in Ortigam, you know, dropped my PR from 340 to 334 qualified for worlds. And then we were like, I was like, Holy shit, this is, this is, um, for real. This is kind of for real. Yeah. Um, and um, I had been talking with, I had been speaking with the Oregon Project a little bit um, 
through, through that summer, but had not obviously been fast enough to, to get kind of a contract. And that, and that was the stipulation about joining the team was um, you needed a Nike contract. Right. And I think um, by the time I, when I hit that time, that kind of set the wheels in motion to, for that to be in play, you know? Um, and so I, I didn't really, I, I think there were, there were other brands interested um, for sure, but I think I had kind of, I, the, the, I, I, the thought of going to the Oregon project was already kind of in my mind and it was, it was, it was there if, if there was an opportunity to sign with Nike. And so um, I went, I went to worlds in Korea um, kind of looking to get that taken care of. And, and we signed, we signed uh, after the semifinal, I signed me um, again, the Nike hospitality, I signed uh, with Nike. And, um, you know, again, I think uh, for me, it was, it was um, at the time, like it now training groups are pretty um, commonplace across brands, right? But at the time, like there weren't a lot of brands doing big group settings or at least kind of a, a group where there's an infrastructure that, that transitions you from college in, in the way Oregon Project, um, Bowerman and, and, and OTC were doing. And so, um, yeah, it was, it was, to me, it was, it was about finding an environment um, as opposed to necessarily finding a brand. And at the time Nike was, Nike had that. I mean, I think they had those, those structures in place important in Eugene and, um, and it made sense. Um, so yeah, it, it was, it was, I think the 334 probably, you know, that, that put me in, in, uh, in a spot to, to be able to sign and, and, and run professionally. And obviously then I was able to go to Korea and kind of take care of business there and back it up. Um, and then, yeah, then I was, um, then I was headed West. Do you think it was uh, like in signing with them? Was it also the aspect of running with these high caliber athletes? It seems like you've always, your goal has always been to run with people who are better than you and then to climb that ladder. Is that, did that play into that at all? Yeah, I think it did. I mean, I think, I think um, I guess at, at the time, you know, if, again, it's similar to you know, Michigan, you know, it's like people were running really well. Um, you know, the Oregon project was getting success. I mean, I think all three groups Nike groups were getting a lot of success. Um, and, and, um, at the time also I, I was, um, I was finishing up my master's degree at FSU and I knew, um, you know, I'd either have to finish the, I basically got the school told me like, I either had to finish uh, my course load in Tallahassee or I had to find like an internship, you know, that would, um, that would serve as like my last six credits. Um, and again, I think being at Nike world headquarters allowed me the opportunity to be able to flex into that zone and, an intern there finish up my degree. And so it was, it was, it was, it was a number of, of kind of combining factors. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think at the time, um, those groups were performing at a, at a pretty high level and they provided, yeah, I think training partners. And I, and I, I really enjoyed the team environment at FSU. You know, I, I think, um, you know, there's, there's running for, um, yourself and then there's putting a uniform on and, and you have Florida state on there. And I think I've always enjoyed running for something that's a bit more than myself. Um, I think there was also probably an attractiveness to that too. Yeah, definitely. And as you progressed from, so from Nike Oregon, Oregon project to OTC yep. and then yep. the transition from that to just working full time, not, yep. not focusing on pro running necessarily. Uh, how, how did that progression play out then was there ever a constant conscious decision for you to say i, I want to give up running or was it just naturally 
uh, did it just naturally come about because of the injuries that you were dealing with um, throughout the time with those different groups? And then ultimately, you know, working full time for a number of years. Yeah. Like I, th- I think the, the writing was, was on the wall in 2016. You know, I had, I had done, I had done four years, um, you know, between London 2012 and, um, and Rio 2016, where um, I did not run to my uh, potential. And, and I, I always, I, I think, I think I, I try and bring, um, you know, a, a realistic um, pragmatic perspective um, to the table with respect to my own value as an athlete or how it performed. And I, you know, I, I looked at it, you know, when I didn't make the Olympics in 2016 and I really wasn't running well, I was hurt. I was not moving correctly. And I didn't see myself coming back from that in the near future. And um, Nike had stood by me the whole way um, and been really great. I mean, through like injuries, you know, full year off in 2013, you know, mishmash 2014 of average and decent results gone all of 2015 still supported me to, you know, all the way to Rio Mark Rowland supported me. OTC supported me a tremendous level of support. Um, I just didn't feel like it would have been fair for me to even come to the table um, and ask um, for another four years of support, nor did I really feel like I, I was ready to give four more years of my body um, to an initiative that seemed like it was, it was just not headed in the right direction. Um, and uh, you know, I, 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 stepped off the track at Portland track festival. It was like my last chance to qualify for Rio. And I was too flat through the 800 and I was just guns out like redlining. And I just stepped off because I was like, there's no way I'm running 335 today. And I remember looking at Mark and I said, I'm done. And I think he just like ruffled my hair and he's like, I know. Yeah. And I think it was, it was kind of a sigh of relief for all of us. Cause I think we, he had, he had, he had endured a lot of, of seeing me frustrated and trying to get me back. Um, he had been extremely patient. Um, David Campbell was our physio had been extremely patient numerous Achilles specialists had been patient, tried their best and it just wasn't working, you know? Um, and, um, Mark had a team of, of, of really great athletes that were training and getting ready for the Olympics. And I just didn't really want to be a distraction. And, and, um, I wanted to be able to, you know, I, I felt at that time, the best I could do was to play a supporting role in, in like Ben Blankenship making Rio and performing well there. So I decided I'd step in and pace him through the summer and, and, um, give back a little bit for everything I got from OTC. And, um, you know, I, I had a good ride, you know, I, 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 I don't look back um, and blame anybody for, for not achieving, you know, what I might've wanted to achieve. I think everyone put everything they could into it. Um, and, you know, I, I had, I had the opportunity, you know, to be able to transition and, and, um, and do something different. And, and at the time, I think, staring down a couple of years of disappointment. I'm um, in the sport. Like I, I just was ready for that change. And, um, you know, I, I think again, you know, I've gone full circle here and here I'm back, I'm back doing some running, but I, I, I think it wouldn't at the time I couldn't in no way conceive trying to make it to Tokyo. It just seems so far away and my body just seems so incapable of doing it, you know? Yeah. Was the, was the transition to, to just working, you know, normal day job, normal career. Was yeah. that, was that a relief and pressure um, or was that, did that feel like there was something missing because you didn't have running in your life? Was it, what, were you enjoying that or was that something where you felt like something was missing and you were, uh, you weren't happy with the, the transition from running to the, the, just the career? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I was real, I was, you know, day to day, I was really happy. Honestly, I, I got to chase a new goal and, um, you know, do something I really loved, build, build product, which I, which I love to do and, and work with the team. And, um, and that was, that was all really cool and, and have new goals and ambitions. And, and 
I think, you know, um, work my brain a little bit um, and, and stop it from turning to complete mush, which, which was good. Uh, <laughs> and, 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 you know, I, I, you know, I, you know, through the, through my years, I'm um, being, being at WHQ and um, training in Oregon. Like I, you know, I built a friend group in Portland, um, you know, had a, had a good base there outside of running. And so honestly it was, it was, it was really great. I think, I think now, you know, in retrospect, now that I'm back running um, and I, I feel how balanced my life is with daily activity. I look back in retrospect and I think about how um, out of whack I was um, emotionally at times, um, why I might've been lethargic, why I would have mild insomnia or anxiety, um, different things that I, I often questioned in my time away from running is like, wow, what is this? You know, uh, like, or, or, um, you know, I think, again, you have to redefine your, your lifestyle when running is taken away. I mean, I think people think runners are really dedicated, but I wouldn't consider myself a particularly dedicated or uh, will-powered person. I, I just, I can focus on a goal and that takes care of the willpower for me. I think without that goal, you know, it's easy to sink into. Um, you go home in the evening and, and it's a Tuesday and you're sinking seven or eight beers just because. Um, I look back now and I'm like, man, I, I think the void of running was a real thing. Um, just in terms of having a daily activity that keeps you grounded. Um, at the time I didn't realize it. Um, but I probably, I wish now looking back that I had recognized it. Cause I think I would have probably been a better person to be around, um, and a better person to other people, you know? Um, but that's, I think that's a learning lesson we all go through. I, I, we're all, you know, I think we're runners at our core. Um, and it's a good lesson for me whenever I, you know, if I make it back here and I do some racing and, you know, I call time on it again. Now I have the, um, the awareness that you run and you do anything for 20 years, 25 years, like running, it needs to be a part of your daily routine or you're going to be off balance and out of whack, you know, it's a long winded answer to your question, but hopefully. <laughs> no, was there, was there anything that popped up in between then and now that kind of filled, you know, a lot of people call running like an, an obsession or you yeah. know, certainly something you do every day, but like, was there anything that's became your interim passion between then and now? Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, I, I, you know, work, work, work was in, in, in its own way. Cause I was, I, you know, very, very passionate about that and, um, cared a lot. Um, and, and was, it was, was, was super busy, you know? Um, and then I think, you know, music took, took, took on, um, a more important role. I was never really a musical person, but, um, you know, I just took, I, I, I developed a strong interest in just, in just live music and attending shows and, and, um, seeing live music and taking it in learning and, um, you know, started DJing and, you know, messing around with that. And, um, you know, going to Burning Man, I think opened my eyes to a whole other community, um, of very diverse, um, people, um, different way of thinking. Um, and that I think in its own way was, um, was, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was something that I think, took the, well, at the time, maybe took the place of running, but I look back now and I think, I think it, it didn't necessarily replace running. You know, I think it was just another, some other added interest I had. Um, and I would have been better served continuing to just from a health standpoint, just, just run uh, as an activity, because there's one thing like, um, the goals and aspirations you have in your career as a runner are one thing. There's also just the daily, um, dose of endorphins just 
and, and uh, running gives you and the, the balance mentally, I think just getting out and exercising gives you, I, I discarded both of those in 2016. Um, I would have been better served to keep one of them. Um, I didn't need to keep racing obviously, but, um, I, I think, uh, I didn't ever fully replace, uh, the activity of running and its ability to, I think, keep me grounded. Um, and I think paid for that a little bit, um, in, in the type of person maybe I became or, um, just my outlook on could be life, uh, friends, relationships. I think some of that stuff definitely suffered as a result of not having running in my life. And, um, pretty big warning shot to me, I think, um, especially now as I come back and I look back and saying, you could be a lot, I think I function a lot better when I'm running, I guess, you know, yeah. I think a lot of, a lot of runners can relate to that for yeah. sure. Um, so, so you didn't pick up, uh, DJing and the, the real love for music, I guess maybe you are always had a love for music, but the DJ yeah. came after you took the break from running. Um, yeah. Yeah. How, how did that come about? I guess have, has electronic music, has that always been something you've been interested in listening to? And then you decided to pick it up from, you know, creating your own and, and DJing, et cetera, or, or yeah, was that a yeah. really net new thing? No, it was, it was, it was a kind of a combination, I guess. I, I always listened to house music. I mean, I think in Ireland, you grew up on house music um, and, and you go to, uh, to shows like, there's like underage shows and stuff that I would have gone to since I was like 12, 13 years old, you know, and it's, it's a lot more mainstream, I guess. Um, in, in its in its own way in Ireland, um, and I, I when I was training, like um, I never listened to music when I was running in college. But when I when I turned pro, I would almost on every easy run, I would like put an hour set on um, and listen to to house, and um, it's with no intention of ever doing anything with it. Um, but um, you know, I think when I retired, obviously, I kind of had um, the ability to um, you know have more time to just be out and about and and go see shows of all different, you know, I wasn't just going to house shows. I would, I love alternative rock and indie and, um, you know, spend a lot of time in, um, <clears throat> low key music venues in Portland. And, um, you know, I think was probably uh, continuing to listen to house music. And I think it was like maybe 2018 burning man. I think I was at a, I was at sunrise and I was at some art car, like, um, like end of some all nighter. And, um, I remember looking up and I was like, man, I kind of want to try this out, you know? Um, and, uh, I, uh, I went over to a friend of mine's place who played in Portland and he had, um, some CDJs in the mixer and just started, started, um, kind of messing around with it. And I kind of learned like really quickly that runners it's runners can be quite good at, 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 uh, at mixing because you basically have to count two times. And I think, you know, like if you, are going to try and run a 400 meters, right? Uh, and you say, I want to run it in 60 and you don't wear a watch, you can probably get pretty close um, because you can inherently count pretty well in your head and through your breathing and your stride, I think you have a decent rhythm. And so I found myself being able to count twice really easily. Um, and so honestly, like, I mean, I'm not producing music right now. Like I, I think a lot of DJing is basically like curation of sound and then pulling that sound together in a way that makes sense. And I found just from just purely coming from running where I listened to house music in conjunction with breathing and stride, I was able to pull that together without really thinking about it. Like I remember a, a DJ in Portland being like, Hey, okay, you need to learn these mechanics. And I was pretty much like, yeah, seems, seems, seems to make sense to me, you know? Um, and so, yeah, just, it was, it was, uh, just another kind of creative outlet that I just started. I mean, I really didn't start playing out playing shows or anything until probably 2019. Um, and then played a Burning Man, you know, at a couple of camps and art cars and 
that was super fun. And I think um, in the absence of racing, like it does add a kind of a cool, um, you know, um, environment of like nerves. Um, you're up there. Um, you got to not fuck up. <laughs> like, good, like it's, and you kind of have a little bit of that rush and then when you do when you when you perform and, you, and it goes well you like it's kind of similar to a race you're like all right nail that one that's good yeah. um so it definitely came in you know i think it came in um that was something that i think probably replaced the competing and racing part mm-hmm. um again i think as I, as I said before i i i needed to probably um find things that re- replaced the running part or at least engage in exercise because i think i definitely missed that um um, activity. Um, but, but yeah, DJing has been super fun. And, um, again, I, I take that. I, I, I use every run that I'm on my own here. I use to try and find new music and, um, have, have got to build a really good community. Like my, my camp that I, I camp for the Burning Man every year is a very music oriented camp. Um, one of my camp mates is a, um, music producer who's been Grammy nominated and, um, a couple of other DJs from Europe are in the camp. And so I get to learn a lot from them. Um, and they have no idea about running, you know, <laughs> um, so I can kind of just show up and not be, not be a runner, but it's funny. They, they asked me for like running advice and I, it's, I'm trying to like give them as, cause they've taught me so much. I'm like, all right, I'm going to give you this like core routine and like, sounds, I'm like trying to show them this stuff and it seems so bizarre that I'm like, okay, hold a plank like this. Cause it comes, <laughs> this must be what it's like. Like this must be what it's like showing me music as yeah, someone. Right. Like, I, I never grew up. I don't know music language, language worth right. I'm a musical person really. I've uh okay I've got two questions one is uh like a you know those like bad movies that you really like it's a secret pleasure of yours so one yeah. uh have you ever seen uh it's a movie it's a movie called we are your friends I have not it has Zac Efron in it oh I you know what's really funny somebody yes somebody um a friend of mine who's a DJ posted this Instagram story about this movie last night because it's when like Dylan Francis is like teaching Zach Efron how to DJ. Yes. 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 Yeah. I, I, I literally saw this excerpt. It's so funny. I mean, I've never seen the movie, but uh, it, it came across my Instagram feed last night. So it's very timely. My, uh, my girlfriend and I watched it and came away with two separate responses. Uh, mine first was this movie is awesome. I love it. And hers was, that was the worst movie I've ever seen in my life. So different. I, I definitely recommend it. Um, number two is uh, for, for two guys who haven't been to Burning Man, like describe it. Uh, We've seen some stuff in like pop yeah. references. Like yeah. what is Burning Man? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. People ask me this a lot because um, I think uh, it's, um, it's not a world um, – probably that that syncs so well with um with running particularly professional running i guess um and sometimes i do feel like when i'm you know if i'm in that environment that's not necessarily a burning man but amongst um you know, that community i do feel like man, man I, sometimes i feel like i live multiple lives you know um because it is really different um but it is just a community really uh, you know i think it, it, it you know I, when i my first year there i went with um, a friend of mine, Niels, who uh, is, I don't know if you guys have heard of the Race Speed Project, but he puts on the Race Speed Project, um, and he's an avid runner. And I went there really, um, one, I was really curious, but two, I, I was pacing him in the Burning Man Ultra Marathon. So there's an Ultra Marathon at Burning Man. And so there is a running camp there that that uh, 
has a 5K, um, a beer mile, and an, a 50K. Um, and he placed second in the 50K. I mean, he went through the marathon in like 240. So it was quite good, quite a high level. But I mean, it's gnarly out there. You know, you start at 4 a.m. and it's hot by the time you finish and it's tough. Um, but I guess I, I, I give that reference to highlight, like it, it's, it's basically a city where there's so many different things going on um, and there's almost something for everyone. Um, like I, my second year, um, I give another like anecdote, like I, uh, a friend of mine um, uh, had a kick, uh, his, his father-in-law was going to bring his father-in-law and, and his daughter and his daughter was 12 and his father-in-law was like almost 80. Um, and we, and I went with them and we camped in Kidsville, which is like a family camp, you know? Mm. And so there's kids and there's like, um, games and all these different things going on. And, um, um, it's just like, it's basically just like a playground. Right. And, and so that's a whole different side of Burning Man. And then there's obviously the music component and, um, um, all these art cars going on and, and chaos and lasers everywhere. And there's that component. And so it's basically just a massive city, um, built on it on some principles that I think encourage a lot of creativity and um, community. And um, it's a, it's a special place. And I, I think the one thing that is, I think pretty unmistakable about it is, you know, at, at nighttime when you leave the city and you go to that open playa and there's just stuff everywhere moving sound and uh, um, like lights. And, and I, I remember like last year I got there and I went for just a bike ride when I had like set up camp um, and I had been driving for like, you know, 10 hours to get there. And I remember I got onto the playa for the first time and saw everything. I'm like, man, you know, and I'm like totally sober uh, at this point. And I was like, man, my senses are really being pushed to the absolute limit right now, you know, um, which is a cool thing. I think you, you do leave there feeling like, man, I, I, I saw and heard a lot of cool stuff there. Um, but I always tell people I, I end up um, trying to explain it and I end up getting frustrated because I just want to be able to like, um, take what I have in my head and implant it into your head or just teleport you there so you can <laughs> see it. Cause I think I, I, I just never will never be able to do um, justice for it. But I, I will say that I think the, um, you know, there's a really good uh, film called art, on, art, art on fire, art on fire um, that the burning man org did um, this year, which kind of highlighted a lot of the um, contemporary art pieces and I think a lot of the community element of the event, um, which illustrates it as something beyond just a, you know, a rave um, and just party zone, which I don't find it to be, but I think the stereotype is there. Um, maybe that that's something that it is. Obviously the, that component of it is there um, and I have a good time and I'm there too, but um, it's just one small component of it, I guess. Um, so it's a special place. And I, you know, I think the, the most, the, 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 the biggest thing I take from it, like anything, I think like running um, school or anything is just the people that I've met and I've, I've built a, a great community and a great uh, set of friends from there. And um, like anything, I think that's what, what means the most to me from about it, I guess. Yeah, that I'm, certainly that is the stereotype. And I'm thinking to, have you been to EDC or Tomorrowland? No. Those? Okay. I, 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 Cause that's exactly no. the stereotype. Yeah that gets and gets I have no interest I have, I have no interest really in, in yeah uh, in, in, in doing that I mean because I just I think uh, yeah it, that's not really a scene um, where it's just yeah it's just a rave it just doesn't sound that fun to me I, I love being able to just ride my bike around in nothingness for a while and um you know it, it Burning Man you know like, 
you could be at your camp in the city and you say, I'm going to go for a bike ride. And then, you know, you, you end up passing like a coffee camp where there's someone giving out coffee because obviously there's no money there. So there's someone serving coffee and you end up in a conversation and then all of a sudden, you know, 18 hours later, you're just, Oh, I just was on this, took this crazy adventure and you may not have done anything other than just have some great conversation um, and learn something from some people. And um, that to me, those to me are the times I remember the most. Um, but I, I think there is also, I, I do love, um, there is a, and I can send you guys some stuff, but I've, I've learned a lot musically there. And there's a couple of big, you know, I think art cars are like the moving, you know, basically in, in Burning Man, there's these, um, they're called mutant vehicles or they're the vehicles that can drive there. So they're um, decorated altered cars. It could be a dragon, could be whatever it is. There's some, um, there's some art cars there that, that um, have really, really high quality, I think, music selection. And um, that part of it is, is also, for me, just a component of being out in the desert, um, stars out, you look back and there's nothing and you're at this art car with like 30 other people listening to it, you know, an artist that um, in Berlin or in um, um, Amsterdam would have like, you know, 15,000 people at, at a, at an, at a venue and they're just, and you're just there with 20 people and it's like super cool. So um, multi, <laughs> multi, multi, multifaceted and, and, but, and again, I think the other part about Burning Man is you, you go there um, and you have to kind of battle the elements for a week. Like there hasn't been a time a year that I've gone where at some point, like I've said, Oh man, this is tough. Like it's, I don't work through this, you know, um, could be that you've been with your own thoughts for like six hours, you know, in the desert. And you're like, okay, I, there's some stuff I have to work through here. Or um, you had a plan to go meet somebody and a huge dust storm got kicked up and you got stuck sitting in one place for three hours. Like the, the elements are somewhat unknown there. Um, and so I think that's another part of, of just uh, the process of almost earning a good time um, and just taking, taking a, a journey of sorts. And um, yeah, I've come out of there having learned something, I think each time I go there, which is, which is pretty cool. Definitely, definitely on my bucket list. I don't know about yeah, you, but no, I, I agree. I agree. I, I've only heard good things and it's, it's mm -hmm. always, it's like you've described. It's never the stereotypical, like everyone there is just raging binge yeah. for seven days, et cetera, et, yeah. et cetera. It's, it's exactly as you're describing with the culture aspect, the art aspect, the community aspect, all these other pieces of it that typically don't get mentioned. And from what, at least from what I'm seeing in a lot of the press and mainstream. Right. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. I, th I think it's funny too. Like, I think, I mean, even as I, I continue, I mean, I don't, I haven't with COVID, I haven't really played much, much live stuff, but I've, I've played a few bits and pieces and I've done some live streams and it's, in it's just interesting. I think like house music in general, I think there's probably a, um, again, the stereotype of a certain environment that follows it. And I definitely think that um, you can, it's possible to just to, to in, index into that or like that be the focus of why you're involved in that music scene. But I think there are, I mean, for me, like I, I, I love the music and I enjoy just like, you know, um, playing around with the decks while I'm running and there's no real party involved in that. Um, and, and so um, I think breaking down stereotypes is always good. Like I think, people probably look at distance runners, you know, from outside the running community and think those guys are just crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And at the same time, I think people look in at, at a Burning Man or they look at maybe even just house music scenes and say, oh, it's all about just the party. And um, again, there are nuances to every community. Um, and I think there are good people and they're well-intentioned people in, in, in all places. And um, it's good to reserve judgment. And I'm, I'm grateful to be, I guess, involved in, in, in both. So it's, it's good. Yeah, absolutely. 
And last couple of questions here. So you mentioned that at Burning Man, there's an ultra, there's a beer yeah. mile. Have yeah. you done a beer mile? And is there any, uh, any possibility of you doing a beer mile post 2021 Olympics, uh, et cetera. What are your, what are your thoughts on the beer mile as a whole? And what do you think you could do for it? Well, I, I, my only one ever I dropped out of, I was in shame. I mean, I was like, I think my freshman and sophomore year at Michigan, and it was like so bad. I mean, I was just, you know, it, it was a joke. Um, <laughs> I think I, I just severely underestimated, like at the time I wasn't a big drinker at all. Like I really didn't drink at all in my teenage years. Um, and I think I just, yeah, it was just a disaster. And I just honestly haven't had, uh, the chance to come back to it. Um, I, I, I wouldn't be against it. You know, I, 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 um, I, I do love beer, um, and I, I love running and, but, but again, I think that I, you know, I've never run a good 5k, you know, and I, I remember when I, when I, <laughs> when, I when I ran a good 10k and I ran a good 15 that year, 2011, I said, I'm going to just smash a 5k time. And I never did. And it sometimes, you know, um, the sum is, is, or what is, what is the saying? The, um, the sum is greater than the whole of the parts or whatever it is. Yep, yep. Um, you know, I, I, I think even if you're good at, at drinking beer and you're good at running, it doesn't necessarily mean that you'll be good at doing a beer mile. Um, the, you know, I, I don't think I'm very good in the transition, the transitions, my five seconds in to, to, between running and, and chugging. And then my five seconds after I think are my, are my downfall. So I would need probably to get some pointers on, on training um, but if I make Tokyo, I plan to have, uh, uh, a number of celebratory occasions afterwards. Uh, <laughs> let's just say that and, um, a beer mile could definitely be one of them. I, I need to redeem myself because you can ask my, my college roommate, Jeff Merrill at Michigan, if he's listening, he'll remember that I was just a total disaster in that beer mile. And I, <laughs> I, make, I make no reservations about that. So, yeah, what well, part of what we're trying to get together and, uh, some, some kind of verbal, not confirmations necessarily, but some some verbal acknowledgements that they'd be open to it. Um, we're least, cu- we're trying at least to some shit talk. When, when, when are you guys talk. thinking? Of, what's the date? What's the uh, what's the proposed date? I mean, so proposed date very open. Uh, anytime after twenty twenty one Olympics, because as of right now, some interested parties: Craig Engels, Eric Jenkins, and then yeah. some potentially Bowerman uh, Trap Club. A few folks, depending. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we'd be looking at August timeframe, maybe September. So, yeah, I, I think Burning Man is uh, the week before Labor Day. So it is out for that week. So, um, but um, yeah, besides that, um, I, 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 I could be game. I, I would, I would be keen to redeem myself a little bit. I don't know. I don't know if I'll have the, you know, I, I need to figure out a way to practice. I don't want to show up um, ill-prepared. So right. I, once the date's nailed down, I'll need to just work it into my training periodization here to do a couple of yeah. bottles. Yeah, I was going to say, here's uh, the practice. You leave the empty beer bottle or can, whatever you want to do. Leave it by your sink. Just chug water out of it. Um, just practice chugging uh, out of the container. If you, do, you can do that all year. And then once you get past the Olympics, you switch it over to some beer sessions and you'll be good to go. Yeah, I always I always um, eat myself up here for not hydrating enough. So I, maybe I could like kill two birds with one stone on exactly. that. It actually is a good way to hydrate. It is. It is. Yeah. Chug, you chug three or four bottles back to back of water and there you go. You have, uh, you know, 40, 50 ounces of water as well as being hydrated and practicing the chugging all in one go. It's a win-win. Yeah. If I ever end up coming <laughs> back and write something decent, they'll say, oh yeah, what was, what was your, what was your uh, key workout? I said, yeah, I was chugging these four bottles of water. <laughs> <laughs> 
so 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 in your attempt was it was it the volume that was the issue or carbonation or well uh, like, I think obviously, you're, pretty, obviously you're plenty fast like uh, that's not I, think, I think at the time i was a huge wimp you know i think i was just a huge wimp i i, I think i uh i think um I mean, I was, it was at a point in Michigan where I, I couldn't run and barely run in a straight line before, without falling over or something. And, um, the beer mile was no exception. I, I think, uh, I think I just real I think I underestimated the, uh, like I was like, Oh, I'm just going to be able to like run and then like chug this beer, which is fine. And then I'm just gonna be able to run again. But like, I think just like the, the, like the feeling. And again, I wasn't used to drinking really when I did it. So like, I think just the feeling of running with beer in your stomach, I was like, this is a whole new ball game. Um, yeah. And it just caught me like off guard almost. But, you know, since, I mean, I, I you know, there's been so many times like um, in Portland, like in the last, like, you know, I tell people, and I haven't really run, uh, but I would, I would run instead of get, catching Ubers in my four years off, like I would run home all the time. Mm-hmm. But the one thing I would do is like, I was like, I'm just going to run home uh, with like, you know, seven or eight beers in me probably. Yeah. Um, and it was, and then it was a good way. Cause then you get home and you've kind of run some um, of your hangover the next day out of you, yourself. And um, so maybe I have some experience in that now I've been <laughs> forward and I don't really know, yeah. um, but that hasn't been happening lately. I've been a diligent <laughs> athlete. So man, um, you're, you're speaking our language though. <laughs> you're speaking uh, our language. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's that Uber could be put towards beers the following night. So. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, you got to think of the, the bigger picture. Yep, definitely. And, and Portland sounds like probably the place to do it, considering, you know, the large majority of uh, of you all that might be partaking in this are in Portland. So. Yeah, Portland could be. We'll keep it easy for you. Yeah, I know. I know they've, they've done one at um, Dunaway Track in Portland. I think there was there's like a regular, there was like a pretty big one that was on yearly. I think, uh, I don't know if you guys know Nick Roche is, he works for yep. Adidas. Yeah, yep. Nick, Nick, I think is, is pretty involved in, or was, he's in Germany now, but he was putting one on. Um, I think there's definitely a culture of it in Portland. Um, um, yeah, that seems like the place. It sounds like you've got some ringers in there. So, I mean, <laughs> ringers in the running front. I, I, I do, I do know uh, the guys you mentioned are seem partial to the ad beverage from time to time. So that's <laughs> that's what we're hoping. We're going for that culture uh, and those types of guys, and then also we're hoping to put up a prize purse with this as well. And so we've been talking with uh, Chris Chavez of Sidious Mag, as well as some folks that put on the Beer Mile World Championships. I think we have an opportunity to put up you know, several thousand dollars at least to the winner. And so I think with that sort of stake in place, maybe, maybe we'll get some, some more people than would normally turn out for, for something like that. that. That'd be amazing. How, how has, how has, um, how has COVID like impacted the, the beer mile like circuit? I, I mean, uh, like, is it, uh, are beer miles still going on? Is there virtual beer miles? I haven't really heard of virtual beer miles happening, but it seems like there would be an appetite for that still. There have been to some extent. Um, I think the beer mile overall is very much an underground sport in that yeah. people, people really just do it with their local running club, local friends, et cetera. And so it, it kind of naturally fits for COVID anyway. You're just going to go to the track with 10 of your, the, the guys that you hang out with anyway and do a beer mile. Yeah. So it's worked out in that regard. And the, the beer mile world championships this year were virtual and it worked out. So I think, I think it's still continuing on. Uh, people are still, you know, putting up results, for it on beermile.com, et cetera, et cetera. But um, yeah, it's definitely, as far as like a publicity standpoint, yeah, I think having having an event in person and having a showdown between uh, some key competitors or some high profile names or whatever the case may be, that's really what's going to get the attention and get get the interest in it versus, uh, 
you know, just the standard, everyone's going to the track with their local club and kind of doing it for bragging rights and, and all of that. Yeah. Cause like, what are your, what is, what's, what are you, your guys' PRs? So mine's 437. Uh, and, and Adam, you're like 650. Six, yeah. 650. Six yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. So I, I was wondering, as I knew you were in the 430s. So I'm like, cause here's one of the thing about it. And like, I, you know, I, um, like I, I think about like someone, and again, I've run a decently fast mile, right? So like I think about someone running running a three fifty mile, and I think, okay, like, you know, I can see that. Like I can see yep. four times, you know, fifty seven five. Yeah, I can see that happening. Like that's thing. I can't in my mind like compute how like what numbers add up to four thirty seven. Like I can, I can, I get, I, I probably, I think I've probably seen a breakdown of sorts. It seems like outrageous to me that someone can run 437 for a beer mile, you know? So, so here's my numbers and here's why you could beat it if you have the drinking down. So I think I ran like 413 or 414 for the mile. And then you chug each of the beers in five to six seconds. Um, so, so the beers are the fast part for someone who's not used to it. I, I've done a lot of them. I've competed at beer mile world championships, etc. So the five to six second beers is very much like, you in the exchange zone, you're grabbing the beer, instantly opening it, just pouring it down your throat and going. But yeah. if you could do say six to seven second beers on average, uh, and then you're running like a 355 mile, that puts you at a world record. So that's definitely that's where the pro runners have an opportunity in that they can run the 355 to four minute mile. I can't do that, so I make up for it in the chugging. Whereas you could potentially run that. And then you have a little bit more wiggle room on the chugging piece of it. Yeah. It's, it's, in, I still, yeah, I don't know. I still, I probably want to be able to run like a couple of workouts where I do like three, three sets of four by 400 with five seconds rest, you know? Right, 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 right. There is no like workout indicator for there, the beer mile. <laughs> there's no workout indicator yet, but honestly, honestly, yeah, you do, you do some two hundreds or four hundreds and like you finish the rep and instead of, you know, your typical, just like you're huffing and puffing, walking, yeah. whatever, run, jogging, literally just hold your breath for 10 seconds and see if you can like physically hold your breath for 10 seconds afterwards. And if you do that, it's more of a mental game. It's just yeah. mentally, can I just tell myself I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to die. I'm not going to suffocate huh. if I just hold my breath for, for 10 seconds, I can do it, you know? So, yeah. and, and it, it's, it's like distance running. You, you build up the the mental capacity that you get used to it over time. It's not like an instant thing. So you just got to put yourself in that situation, but that's where the water can help. That's where uh, you, literally just holding your breath at the end of a rep for five seconds, like any of those sorts of things will, will help you progress in that regard. Huh? Okay. Good pointers. Well, I'll, I'll begin my mental preparation. <laughs> yeah, I'll start by water chugging and we'll see how things progress. But uh yeah, if the dates line up, if the dates line up, it would be it would be fun for sure. Awesome. We'd um, love we would love to have you and we're yeah, we'll see if we can get this thing organized. We're trying. Fingers um, crossed. So yeah. last, last segment, thank you for your time. Really appreciate oh, it. Uh so we're gonna do some rapid fire questions. It's a segment we call the last gulp. So basically yeah. we're finishing our beers, we're gonna ask some rapid fire questions. You can answer one one word answers if you want, you can have a couple of seconds. Yeah whatever uh whatever your preference is so let's kick things off with name name a few artists that you're vibing with the most right now um uh, this guy santa v spelled s-a-i-n-t-e-v-i-e he's really really good mexican music producer um he's amazing um acid Pauli out of berlin is really amazing um 
those two are the probably the first two that came to mind just because they're the last two uh, that I listened to <laughs> my last two runs. Excellent. Awesome. We'll, we'll find them and put them in the show notes for sure. Let's do it. All right. Uh, the next few are American versus Irish questions. Yep. We've got uh, American or Irish whiskey. Uh, Irish. It's a little sweeter. Although I don't drink liquor so much, but I would go Irish a little sweeter. Perfect. Uh, related to that, then favorite brand of Irish whiskey. Um, I, again, I'm, I'm going to go Jameson only because, well, no, actually I'm not, I'm not, I'm going to go Middleton and I haven't drank it in a while because it's hard to get here, but Middleton would be my choice if I could get it. Excellent. I like it. I like, uh, I guess on the theme of Thanksgiving and, and, uh, you know, the good eats American yeah. or Irish food. Uh, American. I mean, in the sense that in America, there's just more diverse, like, I think if I say American food, I can get amazing Greek food here. I can get amazing Lebanese food. I can get amazing Chinese food. And I think in Ireland, some of those things are limited. So I'm going to go American on that. American or Irish culture? Oh, Irish. <laughs> That's good. I figured I figured you should say that, you know, going up there. That would be bad if you didn't. That's yeah, I, I was like, yeah. Yeah. That's, That's a softball. <laughs> All right. Uh, favorite cocktail? Oh, my goodness. I, I, I'm going to tell you, I don't drink, I don't really drink liquor. I'm going to pass on this one because I don't, I don't drink cocktails. Beer, you know, I'll shove it out of my way and I'll take another course banquet instead. There, there, there we go. go. <laughs> I like it. I like it. All right. Can you give us a brief differentiation between progressive house, deep house, electro house for the person that doesn't know anything about music out there? What's the couple sentence answer to what's the difference between these types of music? Yeah, I think it's a combination of um, of uh, the um, the speed, right? The beats per minute, um, probably the intent for the audience. So I think like tech house, for example, is very much like probably um, conventional house, like in a club, and it's it's pretty much like four on the floor, um, drops, etc. I think progressive house is much more of like a journey. It can be more spiritual. It can be um, out there you can lose yourself in it um, more melodic um, probably more like what I'm interested in um, less kind of party kind of up tempo um, techno is like super super high energy but has like a it has like a depth to it that I think once you listen to it a lot you kind of understand that there is like a lot of like um, complexity in techno which is like super cool I, I'm not I haven't mastered techno really but it is like really interesting to me it's like it's own art form um, and then Progressive, um, I mean, progressive takes elements from, from multiple, you know, um, it kind of probably takes like some elements from traditional house um, and, and kind of weaves it together with, you know, deeper melodic, um, you know, these things kind of end up in a, end up on, almost on a spectrum as opposed to being their each individual um, genre, like some can bleed into into an, another. Um, but again, I think it's it's kind of the speed and the kind of the, uh, the intent of the journey you're trying to take the audience on that probably differentiates them really good answer that is a good answer <laughs> uh next question is um so if you're searching your your own name on google what is your preference for what comes up first oh my goodness um i did this like i did this like crazy interview after london 2012 and i was super pissed um where i was like i'm done in the sport and i was like making a big tantrum about it and uh and um I'm, that's probably what comes up first. So I'd probably be like, if that didn't come up first, that'd be awesome. Um, <laughs> um, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't, 
God, that's a really that's a tough one. I don't I don't really have an answer. I mean, I guess. Um, let me see. I don't know. Maybe like my mom would like the you know one of my academic all American things or something. She'd appreciate that if that came up first. <laughs> there we go. There we go. She's probably googling my. She's she's she she. There's a greater chance she's googling Kirana Leonard than Kirana Leonard is. So. <laughs> Yeah, I mean the the Olympic video, the interview afterwards, like yeah, obviously that that's talked about a lot, and I don't I don't understand the I guess the negative lens that it's put in. Um, I think it's super relatable in that. Oh yeah, everyone goes through those huge frustrating moments, especially running any well, really anything in life that you pour your heart and soul into. And so for me, it was actually more of a like I really relate with this guy. Yeah because he's saying things that I've thought about, but I'm not willing, or that I haven't said um, yeah. loud, basically, whether it's you've poured your heart and soul into a marathon training cycle yeah, and it didn't go as planned, whatever the case may fuck be. Fuck this, like yeah. I'm done. And so, so I think if anything, that shows your character from- Oh no, I appreciate that. I think I, I think, I think it, in some ways, yeah, like I, I'm, I'm someone that has like wore my heart and my sleeve a little bit when it comes to, you know, highs and lows of the sport. And, but I do think in order to preserve longevity, I think, um, I think it's one thing to have um, to display authenticity and, and and true emotion. I think it's another to be able to just kind of harness that and and, and take a deep breath and um, understand that kind of highs and lows are just a part of life and everybody goes through. I think I did throw myself a bit of a pity party in that one, you know. And um, I look back and I think the feelings I had probably after the race were valid, but um, there was a healthier way to probably process them and then um, internalize and then whatever I say in an interview is what it is, but the actions that are coming out of that um, could have been dictated better. And again, the approach I take now is a good day is a good day and a bad day is a bad day. They are, they are. And bigger picture is, you know, we're we're moving forward. Right. So. Right. Right. Fair enough. It, it, it's a tough point to be in. Like you just finished a race, you're oxygen deprived. You're, you know, having all sorts of emotions. So 24, <laughs> tough, tough situation to be in. They ask me strange, people ask me strange questions at the end of the, absolutely. I, I, I you know, it's funny. I get this, like, you know, people, I have to happen to me a lot of times and I, I, uh, I either finish a race and someone's like, Oh, so how, tell me how, how did, you know, how, what happened out there? And I said, well, you just watched it, you know? <laughs> You had a better view than me. I was, I had 10 guys around me. Those, those are the worst. Pumping me around, you know. You, like, you were up in the media, media uh, tribune staring down. You tell me how it went. Yeah, yeah not even insightful at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's interesting. All right. Next question should be easy uh, tea or coffee? Uh, it depends on the time of the day. I, I wake, I, I can't live without a coffee in the morning. I think about it as soon as I go to, I'm falling asleep, I'm thinking about it with my coffee in the morning. <laughs> So you're like closing your eyes thinking, all right, only seven hours to go. Um, <laughs> is on. But, uh, and then I love, I do love a cup of tea with some um, um, Paris tea with milk and sugar in, in the afternoon. And, um, sometimes if I'm, if I'm, if I come up, sometimes I take these naps where I just go comatose and I'm out for like two and a half hours. Then I need coffee because I wake feel like a train hit me. But usually I do a, an afternoon cup of tea before my, uh, my afternoon run. So I think it depends on the time of the day. Uh, if you could be a pro in any other sport besides running, what would it be? Oh man. Hmm. Let's see. I think I think um, being a, a football or soccer player would be good. I, I think, uh, but I, I do I do think some of the emotion has been kind of taken out of football now um, with kind of these billionaire owners. And I watch I watch matches and it just doesn't seem like it has. Maybe just because I'm getting older, but it doesn't seem like it has the energy or. Um, 
just the intensity that it used to, but I think that would be awesome. I'd love to be like an NFL wide receiver. That'd be amazing. Absolutely. I mean, I'm not built for it. I'd have to basically <laughs> be a different version of Kiran, you know? <laughs> good for that, but um, I think that would be good. Uh, yeah, some of those skilled position players in the NFL are just unbelievable athletes, so that would be pretty cool too, I guess. For sure. All right, some, some maybe more abstract questions. Uh, how many holes do you think a straw has? A straw? A straw. I mean, I, obviously my, my, what's coming to my mind is two. Three. Three holes? Three. Yeah. I don't know where the third one is. I'm taking a pure guess at that. <laughs> There's no right answer. There's absolutely no right answer. This All right, then it's, well, I've probably guessed two. I, I, I thought there was going to be some sort of trick answer to this. No, 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 no. Pretend, pretend I had the insight. Of what I'm oh, no, th this is an age old question that we just drink beers back and forth and debate the answer to. <laughs> I guess it depends what a hole is, right? Like is a hole like the entrance? Like, so like if you, if you look at a hole in the ground, like is the hole the actual like vacuum of space or is the hole just like, the circular whatever it is entrance to the like, back of yeah, if you dig a hole to china is it just one hole it's a good question you're you're catching on to the the exact debate is this, is a straw one hole because it's one continuous hole yeah but if you, if you yeah but if you dig if you dig a hole to china then he, then someone in china is going to say well that's a hole to the us Exactly. Yeah. So it's two holes. <laughs> yeah, it's two, two holes. holes or one hole. That's. Well, I will say though, like, uh, but then, like, say, like, if you, if you, then that Chinese person flew over to the U.S. and they, like, they, they saw the hole. And they're like, oh my god, you guys also have a hole like here, and they're like, no, no, that's the same one. <laughs> that's also like, all right, like, I think it's, I think it's actually one. I now that I think. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I wouldn't be like I wouldn't be like I wouldn't be like yeah yeah cool like yo, you guys have one too no it's it's the same the same oh, one okay that's that's the first time I've ever heard in that line of argument and I think that changes my answer from two to one yeah we've debated the two versus one for a while so <laughs> that's good we're that's good we're trying to get as definitely many not three then because I was thinking then like what if you dug another one like from you know Iceland you know that came down oh and like connected it like oh yeah but it wouldn't it wouldn't really be. It wouldn't really be relevant to the conversation if you're going down one. I think I, I've now gone from three to two to one. I've flipped <laughs> uh, the, the end on one as my answer. Yeah. Love it. I love it. Okay. In a similar vein, is a hot dog a sandwich? Uh, I mean, uh, see, See, in Ireland, you don't grow up with like the affinity for hot dogs that like people in America have. So I have, I have no problem calling it a sandwich. Um, I'm trying to think. Like, see, I'm I'm gonna say it is because uh, I've I've used. I, so we have like we'll buy at our house just hot dog buns um, that will be done used for hot dogs. But then there's always the, the bun to sausage ratio or hot dog ratio is like always much uh, it's in favor of the bun so there's leftover buns always and i'll you i'll use these buns to make like toasted sandwich or yeah. one thing i like to do personally is if i make spaghetti bolognese i put meat sauce in the hot dog bun oh yeah and make kind of like a meat sauce sandwich and so i i feel like when it comes to the bun portion of the hot dog i consider i don't consider 
that it, it, it crazy to think that that is a, is, is a um, piece of bread that can be used for sandwich. Yeah. The question is uh, like, I mean, question is, okay. So if you take, um, if you take just the sausage, the meat part of the hot dog, right? Mm -hmm. And you take it away from the bread, right? What do you call it? It's a good point. <laughs> you call it a hot dog. Yeah. Right? So I think, so in that case, I think that the, it's, it's ridiculous then to just say that, okay, like a hot dog on its own is a hot dog, but then a hot dog with the bread is also a hot dog. Like it, it does no service to the bread. So like you think the the way to basically say this is kind of a complete package is to say yeah hey this is a hot dog but this is a hot dog but it's the sandwich version you know um, and then also this bread can be used for other sandwiches that makes sense to me that that actually makes a lot of sense I've I've never heard that argument that is that's a good point though that's brilliant it's a good point why is it the same thing when it's alone or with bread a hot dog yeah it makes no sense i mean it's, I, it's happened it's happened it's happened to me a ton of times you know it's like they'll be like you know i'll be at a party you know or dinner and usually like i'm, I'm always kind of snooping around once everyone's eating to see like what you know what's what's left for second serving here you know and and sometimes i'll, I'll always gravitate because you can you can be full off of like ham or steak but then like, someone will have like there's like oh one hot dog oh, i can eat and then someone's like, oh, Kieran, do you want a hot dog? I'm like, yeah, one of those like sausages sounds great, you know? And then I'll have, then like, I'll look over 20 seconds later, they're just like pouring mustard on this <laughs> fucking sandwich. And I'm like, no, I didn't want all that. I just wanted the hot dog, you know? <laughs> you know so, true. Yeah, because you didn't clarify that it was without yeah, the yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. That's uh, again, I, so again, I, I think the reason you're asking the question is, this: it is, it is, a, it is a good debate, but I, I would say, if someone called it a sandwich, I wouldn't be offended, you know? Absolutely. I like that. Yeah. I'm with it. All right. Uh, best party inside or outside of uh, a track meet that you've been to? Mm -hmm. um, the Morton Games in Ireland is always famous for the party that's at the track afterwards because they serve great Guinness at the, at the pub there. Um, the Irish Senior Track and Field Championships is a notorious after party that's at a, a, a bar club in, in down in Dublin, and like the whole national goes there. Um, that's really good. Um, Wild Duck at the Olympic Trials is really good. There's a few contenders, you know. Um, those are the three that uh, that stand out to me. I'm trying to think if there's one like in Europe that really is is like was really good. Um, no, those those. I, I do think Morton Games is a special place in my heart because I just you finish the mile and you do you know it's pissing rain outside usually <laughs> or it's cold and you're like it's July why is like why is it raining you know um, and then you go upstairs and there's like traditional music happening and and everyone's just super happy and there's Guinness and you just there's a Guinness going this way and there's a Guinness going this way <laughs> and you just grab one as it's going by you they're like floating in the ether you know you just grab. <laughs> No, so, so that's more games is probably the one. <laughs> so so we, we know you're a beer guy, but thinking back to, in recent memory at least, what's the, the most wild night that you had? What were you drinking that night? What drink? Oh, man. I'm trying to think wild night that I had. Um, I've had, a, like, I think I've had a few, um, I've had a few, like, uh, Good. Last winter, I, w I, was, I was on like a red wine, like a, just a really sh cheap, 
bottle of shitty red wine kind of <laughs> uh, routine for a while with like a couple of friends of mine. And we had a couple of good nights where we went, um, where we had, but actually one that, one that, um, that sticks in my mind is, um, on, in Portland on Tuesdays, uh, there was a bar and it shut down during COVID. It was a real shame. It was, it was called Revelry. It was a restaurant bar, like a Korean fusion restaurant. They had this really good, um, um, pecan crusted fried chicken. And like the entree of this, of this dish is like a $20 dish. Um, but on Tuesdays you get like a takeaway box of it with a tall boy of Rainier for five <laughs> bucks. So after work, we always go to, to Revelry and, and get like three orders of like fried chicken and Rainier. But then there was a bar like two doors down from called the Elvis Room that had uh, dollar rainiers on Tuesdays also. So Tuesday always turned into this like six o'clock to nine o'clock. There's like twelve rainiers being drank, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and it was and it was nothing other than you know just, just random bullshitting. But um, that was always that became like a routine because all of a sudden yeah. like whatever you know eighteen bucks has you has it gotten you like a pound and a half of fried chicken and, and <laughs> rainiers, you know. <laughs> it was good. Yeah. Hell yeah. No, I love that. I love that. <laughs> All right. Last question to round it out. Uh, you have one day left to live and money is no object. Yeah. What are you going to do for your last day? Oh my goodness. Um, uh, that's a tough one. Um, you know, I, I, this is going to sound really, uh, this is going to sound really like probably, um, um, I don't know. I don't know how it's going to sound, but I, I just keep thinking I'd probably go back to Ireland and just like spend the day with my family and just just hang out because I don't get to spend time with my mom and my brothers very much. Um, I literally, I mean, I, I'm not, you know, try. I, I literally, the first thing came to my mind was like, I would just go back home and just like hang out, you know? Because um, I, I feel like I, I feel very lucky in my life. Like I, I feel like I've had the opportunity to travel and do all these things. And there's, there's nothing, honestly, in my mind, like, oh my God, if I had X amount of money, I would do this. Like I'm not someone who feels like I, I don't feel like I a, a large amount of money would grant, grant me any greater of a quality of life, you know. Um, I like the simple life, and we grew up really simple. And so, um, my mom probably isn't even going to listen and listen to this podcast, but I think she would appreciate me saying, "Yeah, I think I'd probably just go home to the farm and just light a fire and um, play cards." We always play this game 110, which is a Irish card game, and um, yeah, just while away my last few hours, probably have a bottle of Middleton and. <laughs> import, I'd probably import a few cores. <laughs> wouldn't cost that much. There'd be a lot left over. There'd be a lot left over. <laughs> no, that's awesome. The simple life, super yeah. underrated. So yeah. can appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Uh, well, thank you, Kiran. Thank you for your time. Yeah. Uh, a pleasure to have you on. Any any last words, anything you want to plug, any anything that you want to say to close out? No, no. I think, you know, you guys are doing an awesome job. I listened to a few of the podcasts. I just listened to the one with uh, Carissa yesterday um, as I was making my lunch. And um, yeah, it's cool. It's, it's, it's been awesome during COVID to see these, these discussions pop up and, um, you know, getting to know athletes a little bit better. And, um, you know, I think the, the only thing, uh, you know, I plug is, you know, thank you to Hass. I think um, I've kind of mentioned it through this podcast, but uh, I don't think the, the return to running would really be possible without the the um the chance he's taken on me and the faith he has in, in my ability to do something and um yeah i think you know we're working out what races are coming but um there's been you know obviously posted a lot of training stuff in the last few months um it's pointing towards something and we're working on races and so stay tuned uh i i get to tow the start line again on friday but i, I plan to see a finish line pretty soon so um yeah stay tuned for that Oh yeah. We're stoked to see it. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely excited to see you back on the track and we're rooting for you for, 
for the spring, for the summer, and whatever may come of it. So appreciate it, guys. Yeah, stay healthy, stay safe, and we'll, we'll be in touch. That was our interview with Kieran. We're rooting for him to make the 2021 Olympics. We're excited to see his journey on his comeback, the Not Dead Yet Tour. Now let's get into the beer of the week. Kieran's suggestion was to drink Coors Banquet specifically out of a bottle. So that's what we're drinking. And let's review it. Adam, what do you think so far of the Coors Banquet beer? I mean, after, you know, like 12 of them, I'm thinking that 12 in your lifetime, 12 in the last week, like two hours-ish. No, 12 in two hours. Yeah. It's pretty good. Um, The taste, I would give initially like a six out of 10, but clearly the drinkability is at least like an eight and a half, I'd say. Yeah. I don't disagree. It's... uh, it's one of those where the container and the label influence the taste of it. The container for sure matters. I don't like drinking Coors out of uh, any can, but like the glass, for sure. And it's it's a very bold marketing move to make it in this shortened bottle, just unique from everything else. It's like in this little cute little I don't know, almost it's, it's like almost a, like a pony keg, but it's like the it's like a hand, little, it's like a hand grenade. I like We've both been to the Coors Brewery tour a few different times. Good time. Colorado Springs, good time. Golden, Colorado, good time. Uh, is everything a good time? Everything's a good time. It's well, it's kind of like last week, you know. The the Maui Brewing Company beer was like good vibes. This is oh, kind of yeah, like vibes. good vibes. It's, it's, yeah, it's a good vibe. It's kind of like good vibes. For sure. So, Coors Banquet, yeah. I mean, whatever it's rated, it doesn't really matter. It just is good vibes, right? So, you're not going to give it a rating? I'll give it a rating. I'll give it like a, a six on taste, nine on drinkability. Okay. So, X Factor, good vibes. X Factor is good vibes. You hear, heard it here first. Heard it here first. Cheers. So, thanks for listening. Uh, if you would do us the honor, if we've earned it, give us a like, give us a subscribe, comment below. And we're excited for the giveaway. If you do those things, you will possibly be getting yourself some free beermall.com gear. And in the future, a lot more cool beer mile things to come. Kieran, we're looking forward to you meddling at the Olympics. And then we're definitely going to travel to Ireland, COVID permitting, and have a celebratory Guinness or four or seven with you. And then we'll see you at Burning Man 2021. Hell yeah. And here's Kieran with an exclusive beer mile mix.
<laughs> we actually got we got um drugs for Nala and it's dude the bag mm. looks like coke. Nice. I think it's coke. Is she gonna snort it or lick it or? No, we have to put it in her food. Put it in her gums. But I, I mean, nice. if you tuck it in. Yeah, she could do a lipper, or a yeah. hammer, something yeah. like that. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, that's in the podcast. Let's go. Um, <laughs> All right. So we got the intro. Just, here, here's what we're gonna do. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna fucking send it. I'm ready to send it. And then. This I'll say some shit, Chris. and then you just let me fucking send it. Oh my! And then God. we'll get into Kieran. Let me fucking send it. That's we're, we're clipping that <laughs> for sure. Let me send it. We're sh- we're clipping that. All right, all right. We'll okay. we'll start. We'll with figure that. it out. We'll, we'll figure it out. And then we'll see what happens. And we'll go. Okay. All right. That sounds like you're in a fucking interview. <laughs> Hello. Um. <laughs> no holistic. Dude, we're gonna have to splice so much of this. And oh it's gonna my be like, god. Oh my god. Wait, I never even said the other things without laughing. Hey everyone. Everyone, welcome to the Beer Mob Podcast. Blah, blah, blah. I'm Adam. Blah, blah, blah. I'm Chris. Blah, blah, blah. Blah, 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 blah. Done. It'll be very quick. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Beer Mile uh, dot com, the Beer Mile Podcast. It's both a comeback story from wait, oh, like Kim Kardashian. She got cummer on her back. <laughs> okay. Oh, hero, Kira, welcome to the show. <laughs> <laughs> Adam and I, very data driven guys. Uh, we don't like to make decisions on emotion. Uh, we like to use the data. And the data are saying, keep going. I would say it's my best performance, assuming that you splice it together well. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I had some fire lines. You just got to edit it well. I think most of your fire lines were removed. <laughs>